0: CHAPTER Nineteen OF ALL IN THE DAY'S WORK BY IDA TARBELL. THE Vox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. LOOKING OVER THE COUNTRY My chief consolation in what I looked on as the manhandling of democratic ideals and processes in all ranks of society, public and private, was Abraham Lincoln. In spite of his obvious limitations and mistakes, he had won the biggest battle for freedom we have yet to fight he had done it by taking time to figure things out by sticking to the conclusions he had reached so long as and no longer than they seemed to him sound by squaring his conduct always with what he conceived to be just moral principles the more i knew of him the better i liked him and the more strongly i felt that we ought as a people to know about how he did things not ask how he would solve a problem tormenting us but how he would go to work to solve it feeling as i did and do about him i have kept him always on my workbench. there has never been a time since the war that i have not had a long or short piece of lincoln work on hand the result has been five books big and little and a continuous stream of articles long and short the only fresh water in this lincolnian stream was in a book i called in the footsteps of the lincolns beginning with the first of the family in this country samuel who came in sixteen thirty seven i traced them mile by mile from hingham massachusetts where samuel started down through massachusetts new jersey pennsylvania the shenandoah valley the wilderness of kentucky southwestern indiana into illinois to the final resting-place i ran down the records that had been left behind copied the inscriptions on gravestones went over houses in which they had lived looked up the families into which they had married the friends they had made when i finished my journey i felt that i had quite definitely and finally rescued the lincolns from the ranks of poor white trash where political enemies had so loved to place them i have the satisfaction of knowing that this seven-generation pilgrimage of the lincoln family has been added to the itineraries which enthusiastic students include in the cult of lincoln now growing so strong in this country i have never had an honor which pleased me more than a certificate from this group naming me lincoln pilgrim number one my conviction that we needed in all our difficulties to familiarize ourselves with good models sound laboratory practices led me to publish in nineteen thirty two a life of owen d young mr young had impressed me as being just what i called him a new type of industrial leader and how we needed one i had first heard of him in connection with what was called the president's second industrial conference after what I regarded as the cowardly retreat of the members of the president's first conference, mr wilson had called a second with the same objective, a distinguished body of men, among them Owen D. Young. The sessions of this conference were all secret, a contrast to the noisy publicity which had surrounded the first gathering and which had been partly responsible for its failure, the political-minded conferees being able in this way to speak to the country when they made speeches to their fellows a privilege they valued more than trying to understand and cooperate with their fellows it was not long before i began to hear rumors of the satisfactory way the second conference was going and to hear the name of owen d young as the man who as much as anybody else was leading to a broad fair program of recommendations his fairness based on his experience in industrial relations came as a surprise to not a few of the members of the conference for mr young represented the general electric company secretary wilson who was then at the head of the federal labor department declared that mr young had no fear and no prejudice as a conferee that he worked with an open mind attorney-general gregory said of him that there was no man on the conference who was so progressive in his philosophy of industrial relations these opinions from the inside of the conference followed by its admirable published report with which i learned mr young had had much to do set me to following his work in labor matters so far as it reached the public i was deeply impressed by the showing he made as a negotiator on the dawes and young committees called to settle the thorny problem of what reparations germany should make to the allies the first sitting in nineteen twenty four and the second in nineteen twenty nine mr young being the chairman of the latter he proved himself a negotiator of unusual quality he knew the facts he kept his head under all circumstances he had the warmest kind of human sympathies as well as what one of his colleagues called a superior emotional sensitiveness which made him steer clear of danger points before anybody else realized that they were near such were the qualities i told myself needed in a leader to handle the infinitely difficult tangle in labor relations that was more and more disturbing industry all i could do was to say so in print and that i tried to do in a book that came out in nineteen thirty two and had the misfortune to collide with a presidential boom for mr young which misguided friends were cooking up contrary to his wishes it was the last thing that he wanted he had the good sense to see that there were vastly important things for the good of the public to be done inside his industry he wanted to go on with them he was doing a good job and should have been left with it i felt but numbers of admirers and interested politicians continued to cry for him for president until finally mr young came out flat-footed to say that under no circumstances would he accept a nomination but here was my book coming out while this outcry was going on and naturally enough political-minded reviewers took it as intended for a campaign biography the point i had been trying to make that here was somebody with rare ability to lead in the labor struggle was entirely lost i still believe that if we could have had him active in these past years so disheartening for peaceful industrial relations the years which have set back so far the hope of genuine understanding cooperation inside industry, we should have been saved the peck of trouble that we are now in. It was out of the stuff gathered in these various undertakings that I was depending for security. But the return from the books and articles of a freelance is more or less uncertain particularly when they come in so sober a form as mine and are always shaped to fit a self-made pattern i saw that i must have an annual sure if modest money crop and i found it from nineteen twenty four on in lyceum work my two seasons on the chautauqua platform had encouraged the lecture bureau to add me to its list of talent and it was arranged that i go out from four to six weeks a year beginning around lincoln's birthday when dinners and celebrations called for speakers and running on into march usually five engagements a week the local committees choosing the subject from the half-dozen i offered these bookings covered the country from north to south and east to west long and erratic journeys frequently i occupied two different beds a night and now and then three it was brutal exhaustive business but i learned to climb into an upper berth without a fuss to sleep on a bench if there was no berth to rejoice over a cup of hot coffee at an all-night workman's lunch counter to warm my feet by walking a platform while waiting for a train by the end of the first season i had developed a stoical acceptance of whatever came this i argued saved nervous wear and tear i think now a certain amount of indignant protest useless as it would have been might have put more zest into my travel as well as my talking it was not only hard but lonesome business from the day i started out i felt myself a detached wanderer one who had laid aside personality and become a cog in the mechanism called a lecture bureau my one ambition was to fill the specifications of the schedule and have it over with it was not until i said good-bye to the last committee and was headed home that i felt the joyful rush of reviving personality this is putting an unfair face on my experiences these long railroad journeys these nights waiting in dreary stations were not without their rewards I carry no more beautiful pictures in my mind than those flashed on me riding across this country. Glittering snow mountains with stars hanging over them as big as a moon. Miles of blossoming red buds rising from the mist along an Oklahoma stream. The lovely rounded forms of the Ozark Mountains, stretched as in sleep across Missouri. Amethyst deserts, endless rolling prairies yellow with wheat or white with snow these journeys took me at one time or another into every state in the union and there is no one of them in which some bit of remembered beauty does not take the curse off the almost universal disorder even squalor of their towns and cities as i saw them going in and out by rail these long rides these night waits brought unforgettable looks into human lives strange how travelers will confide their ambitions unload their secrets show their scars to strangers never have i been more convinced of the supreme wisdom of the confessional of the catholic church than by the confidences poured into my ears in these brief and accidental meetings memorable and poignant though these experiences are of the country's beauty as well as of its human tragedy and comedy they are little more than a blur the rapid and crowded succession of events left no time to follow up digest get at the meaning the solution this was particularly tantalizing when it came to the actual filling of the engagement for here you were for a time in close contact with a few people your committee and you had an hour or more facing an audience representative of a community the committee represented authority it was my business to follow its instructions please it if i could its chairman was the first person i sought on arrival that is the first after checking up on how and when i was to get away from the place at which i had just arrived to be sure i had careful routing but was the train by which i was ordered to leave still running had there been a flood or blizzard or accident to make a detour necessary sometimes it was an exciting detour more than once i had to go fifty or a hundred miles by car over flooded or snow-bound roads which the pessimistic declared impassable and which only an adventurous youth for a good round sum would undertake to negotiate in one of these hold-ups i travelled two hundred miles in a freight car behind an engine the first to go over the snow-bound road in a week more than once on these exciting detours i felt that probably i should not come out alive but i always did and always found however late my arrival my audience was waiting for me as a matter of fact those little adventures were highly stimulating after hours and hours of the benumbing comfort of trains when i knew how i was to get away i looked up the committee so far as i was concerned the point at which i most frequently found a serious conflict in a committee was the subject on which i was to talk that was supposed to have been settled i had their letter for it but not everybody wanted me to talk on so-and-so usually i found it was because somebody feared i might be too radical They didn't want anything said on their platform which would antagonize the well-to-do conservative sponsors of the course or encourage the town's social and economic rebels. I remember times when, after an exciting discussion behind the scenes, I stood in the wings waiting for the signal to come onto the platform while behind me the discussion went on. Only at the last moment did the chairman say, begrudgingly, well talk on so-and-so but the chief objector meeting me after the lecture said i would so much have preferred to have heard you on so-and-so but the indecision of the committee was not the only trying experience before i was actually on my feet and at my job there was the introduction you never knew exactly what was to happen as a matter of fact the introduction should and frequently does give opportunity for repartee for anecdote an easy way for putting yourself at once on terms of friendliness with your audience but i was never happy at that kind of thing on the chautauqua circuit the fashion has been for the speaker to go out as soon as the music was over take his stand and begin nobody said this is so-and-so who will speak on so-and-so Nobody told them anything about you. You stood up and said your piece. The ritual on the lyceum platform was different. There, they made the most of me as a rule. It sometimes seemed to me that each successive committee had a different way of presenting me. Sometimes I marched out with the master of ceremonies, a man or woman, and was placed in an armchair while the chairman made remarks about me which were often bewildering i have been introduced as the author of george kennan's siberian books and of edna ferber's emma mcchesney stories i have heard a long explanation of why i had never married once i was called a notorious woman by the speaker he evidently thinking that the word was flattering often i had a bodyguard made up of important women of the community a tribute to my sex one of the most peculiar fashions as well as the most trying was having a scene arranged behind the drop-curtain the stage was turned into a pleasant sitting-room and a half-dozen of the leading women of the town in their best gowns were seated about in informal fashion when we were all ready the curtain went up there would be music and then the chairman would tell them who i was and why i was supposed to be worth their attention while this was going on the audience was locating the different persons of importance on the stage and criticizing the setting and the costumes one going as a lecturer to the most remote parts of the country that support a lecture course may think he will be a treat but if he has any sensibility he will soon discover that far from that he usually has a critical audience it is interested in what he has to say treats him with courtesy and respect but it has also had experience with scores of lecturers in past years and compares his matter and manner with theirs i have been in towns in the middle west where they had heard thackeray and dickens read had listened to emerson and bronson alcott and had heard every popular lecturer in all the years since their day your real opportunity to judge of the intelligence and alertness of the community comes while you are speaking look for an hour or more into the faces of a group of men and women who whatever they may think of you are courteous enough to give you their attention and you know soon what certain individuals think of what you are saying always i found myself speaking to someone who i knew heartily disagreed with me someone i felt i would like to convince always i knew that there was a man waiting to challenge me usually these challenges came from socialists or single taxers if an opportunity was given to ask questions after my talk something which i always encouraged they were the first on their feet the community knew them and knew what their questions would be and frequently laughed at them but a really good audience enjoys seeing a speaker heckled a bit and the speaker if he is really interested in his business is glad to take the heckling i know nothing better for a lecturer who is going over the same arguments night after night than to know that there will probably be somebody in his audience who will seize the first opportunity to pick on a weak point challenge his generalization his facts if that happens you always go away from your lecture better equipped than you came to it in the twelve years in which i regularly made an annual lecture trip i gave up the work in nineteen thirty two finding it too much for my strength in all those twelve years i everywhere found the liveliest absorption in national policies people told you how they felt about an undertaking how it was working out in their particular community important for here you had the test of the pudding in its eating it was what i saw of the workings of prohibition in the nineteen twenties that drove me to do one of the most unpopular things i ever did that was to tell bluntly how i saw it working in hotels from one end of the land to the other disheartening evidences of its effect on the young the unexpected dangers it brought to a woman travelling alone at night both in stations and on trains i set down what i had seen over a wide range of territory what i had heard from the mouths of men and women who had been ardent prohibitionists and who were appalled by the things that were happening particularly to youth in their own communities i had never been a prohibitionist in principle my whole theory for the improvement of society is based on a belief in the discipline and the education of the individual to self-control and right doing for the sake of right doing i have never seen fundamental improvements imposed from the top by ordinances and laws i believed that the country was gradually learning temperance but if prohibition could be made to work i was willing it should be tried but what i saw in these years had led me by nineteen twenty-eight to feel that something unexpected and very disastrous was going on and that it must be faced not hidden it was the most important observation that my crowded lecture days yielded but as i say it brought me bitter criticism and now and then an intimation from some indignant woman of power and parts that i had sold myself to the liquor interests one lady even intimated that if she had known my pen was for sale, she would have bid for it. This kind of criticism, however, is one of the things that one who says what he thinks must be prepared to meet. It is very difficult to believe that those who disagree with you are as convinced of the right of their point of view as you are, that they are not being bribed or unduly influenced, have no selfish purpose, as you are sure you have not, two generalizations topping all others came out of this going up and down the land in the years between nineteen twenty and nineteen thirty two the first is the ambition of our people to live and think according to what they conceive to be national standards they adopt them whether they suit their locality or not and often in adopting them destroy something with individuality and charm for the traveler, it begins with a hotel, spick and span, and as like as two peas to the one in Aville, Bville, and so on. Over the way is a sturdy stone building dating from the days of the coach and four. You may sigh for its great rooms and for a sight of the old lithograph sure to be on the wall, but you know it is run down the town cannot support two and it prefers the smart and comfortable commonplace to modernizing its fine old inn look out your hotel window and you will see opposite a smart little dress shop a duplicate of one you have been seeing everywhere you have halted a duplicate of many a one you have seen on new york avenues next door is a standardized beauty parlor and the pretty girl who waits on you at the table the daughter probably of some solid and self-respecting townsman has the latest coiffure and blood-red nails she is struggling to look as she supposes girls do in chicago or new york when the committee takes you out to drive it is to show you their one high building a high building on a prairie with limitless land to occupy or a country club as fine as the one in the nearest city The pride is in looking like something else not themselves the growth of this progress in imitation can be traced in the change that has come over the local postal card all my life i have been a buyer of postal cards largely on account of my mother to whom i always sent pictures of the localities through which i was passing mother died in nineteen seventeen but up to this day i rarely go through a station that i do not say to myself i must find a card for mother and turn away with a pang in the years between nineteen twenty and nineteen thirty two the postal card grew steadily less interesting once there were pictures of a nearby fort the earliest house a local celebrity a rare view but now it is all of high buildings and new blocks they give of course the pictures of the zoo and the parks but even the zoo and the parks pride themselves like the country club on their resemblance to those of the nearest large city the growing evidence that nationalization is blotting out local individuality destroying the pungent personality of sections states communities struck me with new force after the months i spent in italy in nineteen twenty six in italy i had found that however deeply unionism might be written in the hearts of some men you were a roman a perugian a venetian a neapolitan before you were an italian the long arm of fascism was reaching into the provinces and the towns but it did not as yet disturb their ways of life mussolini had shown up to that date rare knowledge of his italians he had left them their ways sure of them they did not worry so much about the change in government most of them could see about them the proofs of two thousand years of change they could show you records and scars of a long succession of emperors kings councils dictators it did not seem to make a vast difference to them what the government was if they could go on being themselves perhaps our national ambition to standardize ourselves has behind it the notion that democracy means standardization but standardization is the surest way to destroy the initiative to benumb the creative impulse above all else essential to the vitality and growth of democratic ideals the second of my two generalizations was slower in its making it came when i began to scratch below the surface of the imitative life so conspicuous then i found a stable foundation of people who stayed at home and went about their business in their own way and without much talking these were people who in spite of droughts and dust-storms stuck to their farms making the most of good years saving enough to carry them through the evil ones adding a little year by year to their possessions in town and country supporting schools churches and incidentally lecture courses they were people who believed in freedom to work out their own salvation and asked from the state nothing more than protection in this freedom it was the business of government as they saw it to keep off the plunderers and let them alone democracy to them was not something which insured them a stable livelihood it was something which protected them while they earned a livelihood if they failed it was their failure if the government did not protect them from transportation plunderers manipulations of money stock-gambling in goods which they raised to feed the world it was the government's failure then they had the right to change the government hold it up to its duty that was their political business this was about what i found the country over when once i had learned to look beyond the restless imitative crowd to hunt out people who were going about their business steadily and for the most part serenely i began to breathe more freely and to say well perhaps after all the men and women of this country as a whole do know what they are about they do know what democracy means and in the best way that they can under many hampering circumstances they are trying to live it some such conclusion i always brought back with me from my annual swings around the country my dozens of nights in dozens of different places the high spot of which always was the hour of searching the faces of the men and women who came to listen to what i had to say and who I knew sized me up for just about what I was worth, I might be fooling myself, but not them. End of chapter Nineteen.